Turn to John chapter 5. Some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, isn't that before? Isn't that before the resurrection? Isn't that, isn't that even before the crucifixion? Yes, it is. John chapter 5 is fairly early in the story, but this is a little section where we get to hear what Jesus has to say about death and resurrection. And it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. We're going to be reading verses 18 to 32. So please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So Jesus makes enemies among the Jews by doing things that make them go, <gasps> have, you guys ever, have you guys ever done that? Somebody does something so bad that you're like, <gasps> really? Can't believe he did that. Well, there's a lot of things that we go, <gasps> about that aren't actually bad. They're just shocking. Shocking to us in our own human understanding. Shocking to us because we've made our own kinds of rules. And that's what had happened to the Jews. They'd, they'd made their own rules to go around the rules of God. They'd raised themselves up in importance by the making of these rules to make themselves feel holy, feel good, feel powerful. And Jesus comes and he blows it all up by doing things on the Sabbath that were against their rules. And Jesus is saying, is it good to heal on the Sabbath or is it bad to heal on the Sabbath? And, and they're caught and it makes them angry. It, it, they're caught because how can you ever say it's bad to heal, right? And, and on the other hand, they're like, but it's on the Sabbath. We've got rules against that. And it actually makes Jesus angry, it says. Because they had no compassion on those who needed healing and because they didn't care about God's law. They only cared about their man-made rules surrounding the Sabbath. They didn't understand the purpose And so the rules that they made were contrary to God's law. Now, once that happens, they begin to be more and more angry at Jesus. They want to kill him. And isn't it interesting you know, wait a minute, why kill him? Have you ever thought about that? Why would, why would you have to kill somebody because of that? Well, the answer is pretty easy. The reason that they wanted to kill him is the same reason that we want to kill somebody who makes us look bad. And we do. We get angry, and Jesus himself is the one who taught. When you get angry at your brother, it's murder in your heart. That's what's going on. You want to kill him. And so they become angry. And they're seeking to kill him because he's making them look bad. He's causing problems politically for them as well. boy, we don't have much patience for people who make political problems for us, do we? Well, they ask a question. Eventually, they say, listen, what gives? By whose authority are you doing these things? You're, you're upending everything. You're throwing away the, the power of Rome, you're also throwing away the power of and the authority of the religious leaders. You're overturning 
everything, not just the tables in the temple, right? But overturning. Everything's getting flipped up on its head. On what basis do you do these things? And his answer is, I'm God's son. His answer is, I'm God's son. And that's where we pick up as he makes that clear to them. In our passage it says, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if you remember, Jesus' declaration that he is the Son of God is ultimately what he was crucified for. That is the final thing that had them over the top, pushed them over the edge into saying, okay, now we feel now we have a now we have a good reason now we feel justified in getting rid of this troublemaker that we already wanted to kill you remember that it's not just this idea that oh he claims to be the son of god what should we do well i hate to say it but i think we have i think the law says death penalty for that oh are you serious we got to kill him can't we just put him in jail for a while That's not what was going on, was it? They already wanted to kill him, and then they had the excuse. Aha! Yeah, now we can kill him! Why? You heard him. He said he was the son of God. That's making himself out to be God. That's blasphemy. How can Jesus claim to be the Son of God. He's a man. Here in this text, Jesus appeals to the raising of the dead as the proof of his claim. He talks about the raising of the dead, several different ways in here. But that's the proof that he appeals to. He talks about his relationship as the son with his father. He talks about the authority that God has given to him, the power that the Father has turned over to him. The judgment entirely being turned over to him. This is, of course, completely contrary to everything that we've heard about God and Jesus growing up, that somehow God is this wrathful judge, but Jesus is this nice man who loves us, right? And you got pictures of him with the nice golden hair flowing very gentle and meek, attempts to to portray that in the pictures, right? But forgetting that here here he is saying, all judgment has been given to me. It's a remarkable 
remarkable idea to think of Jesus, the one who loved us enough to go to the cross and to push it back for a second and go, oh wait, the Father, the Father loved us and that's why he sent his Son to go to the cross, right? It's also remarkable to go the other direction and say that that man who went to the cross and died because of his love for us, that man will also judge all mankind. These things are not in contradiction except in our own minds, in, in the ways that maybe we've learned through Bible storybooks as kids or Sunday school or, unfortunately, even, even worse, sermons and books that teach us to stop fearing God or that try to contrast Jesus the nice guy with that Old Testament God the Father who is so harsh. Or Paul, that judgmental guy who wrote the rest of the New Testament. Here Jesus is. And he says the Father has given to himself, to the Son, what? Life in himself. Just as the Father has life in himself, he is given to the Son to have life in himself. And just as the Father, verse 21, raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. There's not that many people who've been raised from the dead throughout history. You read a few stories in the Old Testament about Elijah, right? And Elisha. Does Elisha do it? I can't remember. I get him confused anyway. You read a few stories in the Gospels of Jesus doing it and then of the apostles doing it. They're, they're amazing stories. They're wonderful. You read of after Christ's death, some of the saints being raised and many in Jerusalem seeing them. My point is, not everybody gets raised from the dead down through history, right? As a matter of fact, almost nobody would probably be a better way of describing it. Almost nobody gets raised from the dead. That's why we call it a miracle. If it was the norm, it would be a totally different thing. But it's a miracle because it never happens. Why do I point out how rare it is? I mean, it's like, come on, pastor. This is obvious. Everybody knows nobody raises from the dead except for if it's a miracle. Well, because I want you to see 
Jesus is pointing out his own authority and choice in the matter, and the Father's authority and choice in the matter. As a matter of fact, Jesus points that out about one of the times that somebody was raised from the dead in the Old Testament. It wasn't one of God's chosen people. It was the son of a widow who was one of the heathens, one of the dogs. And that makes the Jews mad when Jesus points it out. Why does it make them mad? Part of the reason it makes them mad is the same reason that it makes us mad when we say Jesus saves those whom he will. Jesus saves who he wants to save. Well, if you think about the work that Jesus has done up to this point in John, you recognize, okay, yeah, he's going to raise people from the dead and he's going to prove to them that he has the authority. He's going to prove to them that he is who he claims to be by raising people from the dead. That's how remarkable being raised from the dead is. It's enough to prove God's power has been poured out. But Jesus goes on to speak of it a little bit differently than that. Jesus declares that he will make the spiritually dead live. Jesus is going to make those who are spiritually dead live. This is a resurrection, if you will. A declaration of life. Let there be life. Let there be life among those who are dead. In the Old Testament, we've got the picture of the valley full of bones. Dead, dried out, scorched in the sun bones. That's how dead they are. And then the word live. Live. And that's what we have Jesus declaring here about his power. That he will make those who are dead live. Truly, truly, verse 24, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And then pay attention to the second part. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. So there's two parts to this. Has eternal life, right? And then, not judged, but passes through death into life. Then the next verse, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming... And now is, and by the way, you guys, you, you, have to, you have to notice 
when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's meant to get your attention. If it doesn't get your attention, you're not reading it. You're not reading the Bible. You're just stringing the words through your eyes. When, when somebody says, hey, listen up, listen, listen, listen. You're supposed to, yes, what? I'm listening now. Okay, I got, yeah, mom, I'm listening. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, and he's just done it twice in a row. He's reiterating the same point a second time, again with that exclamation, truly, truly, I say to you. An hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, what is that? What is that talking about? Those are the spiritually dead. Jesus talks about two kinds of death in this passage and two kinds of life. When he says that the hour is now, that the hour is already, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's talking about those who are beyond hope. All of mankind is beyond hope. Some he will choose to give life to. He will speak to them and say, live, and they will live. They will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And then he again goes back and he says, the Father gave me this power. The Father gave me this authority. And that's when he then goes and he says, and he gave me authority to execute judgment. It's not exactly what we want to hear when we're hearing about being told to live. There's an old tradition in the church of preaching fire and brimstone. When is the last time you could say you heard a sermon that you could truly call fire and brimstone? Have you ever heard a sermon that was actually on fire and brimstone? It's in the Bible. Fire and brimstone come down upon Sodom, right? And Gomorrah. Why, why would you preach on that? The reason you preach on that is because Jesus makes clear a judgment is coming. And he makes clear what is coming after that judgment. See, Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear the one who can cast body and soul into hell. That's what we're to fear. 
again, we're talking about two kinds of life, right? Our physical earthly bodies are alive right now for a short time. They could die tomorrow, today. Someday they will, unless he comes again first. Is that what we're afraid of? Is that what you're afraid of? Is your ultimate fear that this body will die? This life will be over? Is everything about this life only? Or do you have some concept of the fact that after comes the judgment and there is fire? There is brimstone. The thought of a worm that never dies and a fire that never goes out, does it have any effect on you? Or do you just worry about whether you're going to get lunch today and whether it's actually going to be good? Or how much candy was in your basket? Or what your salary is or how nice the house is or what the problems with the house are? Jesus is talking to us about what our need is. He's saying, you're alive, yes, and, and I'm going to demonstrate my authority by raising this earthly body. I'll demonstrate it by raising people from the dead right now. But remember, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the death you need to be worried about. What is your need? We need to hear the voice of the Son of God. That's what we need. If we do not hear the voice of the Son of God, we will not live. And then instead, we will be under judgment, under his condemnation. And we will hear it in the end. But it will be too late. Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking to a group of people who... Some of them hear his voice and some of them don't. And it's not because he was talking too quietly. It's not because he didn't have a PA system like I do. Verse 21, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Some refuse to hear. And why do they refuse to hear? They refuse to hear because the Son has not chosen to reveal himself to them. And yeah, we hate that. Yeah, that makes us mad. How can you be mad when the Son of God says, Live. Live. Be free of the chains of death. Be free of the chains of sin that lead to death. How can we be angry? Except for if our concern is about this life only. The Jews wanted freedom. But who did they want freedom from? 
Not Satan. Not the power of demonic forces. No, what they wanted freedom from wasn't their sin. They wanted freedom from the Romans. How many of us today would love to be free from the power of liberals? I mean, seriously, how many of us would love to be free from the power of liberals? They've got, I would love it. They've got power galore, right? Power over social media. That's why we're like, yeah, buddy, come on, Musk. Show them what's up. That's what I was thinking this week. Who else is with me? I get your attention now, right? Yeah, we all care about we all care about power in this life. We all care about freedom from the the travails of being under people that we don't like. And you say it's not just that we don't like them, pastor. It's that they're wrong. It's that they're evil. And I say, yeah, well, so were the Romans. Romans did things like taking Christians and burning them as torches in their gardens. Not exactly pleasant liberal canceling that we get today, right? Here's what you need to be free from. Fear of man. Liberals or conservatives, you fear man instead of fearing God and you've forgotten the words of Jesus Christ. You have forgotten to hear the words of the Son of God who said, don't fear the ones who can kill you. Fear the one who after death can cast you body and soul into eternal torment. Your need is not freedom from the liberals except insofar as they lead you into sin. And yes, they will try. The Sadducees were liberal. And they did try to lead people into sin. They taught wicked things, like there is no resurrection from the dead, which happens to be, by the way, why you don't really hear that much about the Sadducees, because it was the conservatives, the Pharisees, that were more dangerous for the people of God. What is your need? You need to live. You need spiritual life. That's what we need. We don't need more money. We don't need to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We don't need political power. We don't. Not in the slightest. Is there good that can come from Christians in office? Yes. And does God have much to say to those who have political power? Absolutely. Fear God. Pursue justice and truth. Amen. And to those who are under that sort of rule, God has promised that there will be earthly benefit, that 
the country will thrive. Amen. That's wonderful. That would be a great gift, wouldn't it? So how about we pray for our leaders like Jesus said? Yeah. We can pray about earthly things. But what do we need? We need to hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. You think, oh, well, that's easy. I sit here and I hear it. Pastor preaches it. I read it in the Bible. I hear it. Go to the next chapter of John, John 6. At the end of that chapter, we read, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? They heard Jesus. And what they wanted to hear was different. It was hard for them to hear the voice of the Son of God. They wanted something different. So will you hear his voice and live? If you hear his voice, you will have eternal life. He does not say you will not face death. Rather, he says, you will pass through death and you will live on the other side. Now, everybody knows that the reason we're here today at church is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? Resurrection Sunday, Easter, that's what we call it, right? That's what we're talking Do you know that the same Reason is why we gather every Sunday. Every Sunday. That's why we gather together to worship him on Sundays because on Sunday is when he was raised from the dead. Now, if somebody said to you, if you hear my words, you will have eternal life, and then he died, what would you think? You might, like the rest of the apostles and disciples, be scared. I guess that was wrong. What if they come for me next? Let's hide. Right? If Jesus Christ had not been raised, all his talk in this chapter and everything else that he said would have been Pointless, fake, null, ended, proven false. It's because he rose again that we know, yeah, when he said he had authority to give life, eternal life, when he said he had authority over death, when he, when he said that he was granted by the Father to have life in himself, it was when he rose again that we saw, yep, it's all true. It's all true. 
Every last bit of it. Everything he's said is borne out in that moment. Yeah, the work was accomplished on the cross when he died. The proof of it was when he rose on Sunday. And having risen, what does he do? He ascends into heaven. And he gives another command. If you were here for the Maundy Thursday service, we heard the command to love one another. At the end, we read it this morning, he gives that command. Go into all of the earth. To every nation, every tribe, every tongue, proclaim this good news. This message of life, eternal life. And the only other option is death. No, not physical death. The death that comes at the judgment. Acts 17.31 brings these two themes back together the same way that we see them in this passage. And the Apostle Paul says, He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So listen, the proof that we can have life in Christ Jesus is the fact that he is alive today. That he rose again. It is also the proof that he is going to come and judge the living and the dead. That he will speak and all will be raised. Some to eternal life and some to eternal death, to eternal judgment. That also is proved by his resurrection. And it's a glorious thing. It's not something for us to be ashamed of. Nor is it anything for us to fear if we have heard his voice. If you have heard his voice, then his promise is you will pass through death and live. Live with him. Live in heaven. Live glorious, eternal life. We think, I will have eternal life without ever even thinking. I will live eternally. <laughs> How is that possible? But those who have not heard his voice, those men he will judge. Those who did evil deeds will be judged. Their judgment is sure, and hell is the judgment. And Jesus does not shy away from that. He speaks of it in blatant, clear terms. 
Jesus is harking back to Daniel 12.2 in this passage. Let me just read Daniel 12.2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life. But the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The Bible is not unclear about what happens. Some will live. Some will be judged. Put your faith in him, in his voice. Hear him and live. He will raise you up to be with him in glory.